I am the hands. I am the feet. I am heart. And this, uh, this short series that we've been doing called The Church, or I Am Church, has had us look at the body of Christ and the different parts that make up the body and how you are all grafted into this body of the church and what you bring makes an incredible difference. You can't leave what it is that you have on, uh, on the shelf, so to speak. And also we had Colin talk about the Bride of Christ last week and uh, he did a fantastic job talking about that. Well, this morning, what I'm talking about is uh, a different angle by looking at the church, of looking at the church, and that is called what the world doesn't understand. You see, people don't know why we do what we do. People don't know why we come to church. Just yesterday, I was chatting with a neighbour who's developing some land right across the road from us, probably a guy a few years younger than me, and I walked over and was started chatting to him. I haven't met him before. He's new to the area. And he looked at me and he goes, you're the local father, aren't you? And I thought, well, that's a bad reputation to have in some circles. I said, no, no, minister, actually. Um, and he goes, oh, what's the difference between a minister and a father? I said, well, father's like a priest, a Catholic priest. And uh, if I was a Catholic priest, I wouldn't be married. Ah, oh, so you're married then? Yep, yep, married to my wife, actually. And, um, and then he explained to me how his parents went to a local church, and, but, you know, religion isn't for him. <clears throat> and uh, we just chatted away and had a bit good conversation there. But I could tell he was looking at me like, you're weird, but you're normal. You're a relic, but you're about my age. And there's a sense in which the world doesn't understand who it is that we are and why we are who we are and why we do what we do. When you go to work tomorrow or wherever you go tomorrow and people say, what did you do on Sunday? You say, oh, I went to church. People aren't quite sure what to do with that. Oh, good on you. In other words, don't try to get me to come, but good on you. Yeah? Yeah, it's, it's a challenge, isn't it? And people don't know why we do what we do because they don't understand what it is that we know. So the big question always is why? Why do we go to church? Why is religion so important to us? Why does our behaviour change? Why are our opinions contrary to many of those in society? Excuse me. <clears throat> Just have a gin. You don't have a clue, do you? <clears throat> you haven't got a clue. Why is our behaviour different to others? Well, we're going to talk this morning about this why because we aren't the first people who have had this why question imposed upon us. When people look at your life and they say, what it is that, see what it is that you do and how it is that as a Christian you're committed to this thing called faith and this person called Jesus. It's not the first time this has ever happened, of course. And I want to go back to Scripture, back to Acts chapter 16, and here we'll find a story about the Apostle Paul and how it is that he came upon a woman, introduced her to the gospel and how her life changed radically and she would have had to answer for it. This story starts in what we know now as Turkey 
And here we have the Apostle Paul on this missionary journey with his friends going up here through Galatia. And the story tells us that the Apostle Paul had a vision. Around about this area here, he had a vision. And uh, he had a vision and, and, and he was told not to go north and not to go south. But he got a picture of a man from Macedonia calling him over the ocean, over the ocean. And so he followed that leading and he went, ended up in Neapolis. And the story we pick up is in a little place called Thyatira, which is just down in this region here. A little place called Thyatira. And the story begins there. Very short story, but a very powerful story of Paul's interaction with a woman called Lydia. On the Sabbath, we, that's the Apostle Luke talking, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the town of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, I think it's a fascinating little insight here into a woman who is obviously very determined, obviously very astute and a great saleswoman. Why? Because having been convinced of the gospel, she then convinced Paul to stay with them. Notice that last line, I think it's fascinating. This woman's a real saleswoman, isn't she? Says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. You know, if I said to Paul, Paul, if you're really my friend, you'd shout me lunch today at your place. Done, Done. yeah, see, simple as that. But you see, she's a saleswoman. And what we're gonna come back and look at in a few minutes is that this is a woman who knows her own mind, okay? So for her to be convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ, she's not just some flaky blowaway leaf in the wind. She's a woman who really does, who really does understand who she is and how it is that she functions in her society. What we're going to do now is we're going to stop here for a moment. I'm going to show you a testimony on video. It's a testimony of two men from two men from our church, Peter and Graham. And Graham has just recently become a Christian. And this story is how this unfolded. So we're just going to dim the lights and we're going to show you this little story. Yeah, well, I had a, a bit of a rudimentary understanding about faith and, and uh, the church, but I didn't at that time as I grew up, grew older, I didn't really see that as a necessary part of my life. And uh, it came to pass about um, 12 months ago where I started to have a few relationship problems and um, I was searching to be honest for some answers. My wife and I moved from Christchurch to, to Tauranga um, where we moved into an area in Welcome Bay um, which is a small community and uh, Graham was part of that community. In fact, his, uh, his, his, his property uh, backs onto mine. So we were instantly um, looking at one another as new neighbours and what's this going to be like. And um, we soon got to chat in and Graham has been very gracious, inviting me into his home. Graham suggested that maybe we're going to have a game of golf on Sunday. And uh, I returned the, the comment that the fact that I'm sorry, but I'm going to church on Sunday. 
<laughs> and that's, that's when I realised that this guy was really serious about this and going to church was more important than playing golf on a Sunday. I thought, wow, that's, that's quite serious. Um, and my next door neighbour, Peter, um, sensed that there were a few challenges in, in, um, in our family and um, started talking to me about a number of issues and we became quite friendly. Uh, fortunately, at that time, Alpha was preparing to start a new course so I asked him if he would like to come to that course. And um, one day he said to me, Graham, I think it would be a, a really good opportunity for you to come and do an Alpha course at BBC in, in Bethlehem. And he instantly said, yes, I'll come. I wasn't certain exactly what an Alpha course was, but um, I trusted Peter. Peter did the introduction to Alpha to me in a very nice, subtle way, there was no pressure, and he just um, asked me to attend and said there'd be a lovely free meal <laughs> as well. It seemed to happen so quickly and so easily that um, the Lord really did the work. I just fronted up and asked him a simple question. After my first session with Alpha, and I spoke um, with Peter's wife, Gay, I, I just felt that I would just give my life to the Lord then and there. And from that, it was really quite remarkable. Um, it was um, very hard to describe. It was as though I'd been driving this crazy bus and train all my life, pushing in my business, business life and with my family, striving for lots of things and a lot of pressure and, and a lot of tension in my life. And all of a sudden it was gone. It was really quite surreal. And I, I felt this amazing peace that just came from I don't know where at that time and um, and it took me a little while to realise what had actually happened and, and um, it's with me now, it's, it's everywhere, it's every day. It was amazing Graham's response to God entering his life. He was like giving a child a whole bar of chocolate and he consumed it in one go and was looking at me for more. If Peter hadn't asked me, I would have missed it completely. And you never know who's really wanting to do this, who, who's really needing to do this. So. Um, doubtless you'll find people who don't go, but I would never be discouraged in asking anybody. Um, it's, it's so simple, so easy. Um, best free lunch in the world. Graham and Peter were here in the first service, I don't think they're here. Yeah, so fantastic story, a simple invitation over the back fence. It's the way it should be. Very similar to what story is we're looking at today. And Lydia, of course, is this pretty impressive woman. She's impressive because she's a leader in her community. She's impressive because she deals in this purple cloth. Purple cloth was the, the colour of prestige and royalty and the upper class. It was very, very expensive. And the way that purple cloth was made in the day was um, you'd get these sea snails and you'd boil them down, render them down for days and the whole process stunk. So you could possibly project upon this text that she was down at the river doing this because she didn't have very good uh, relations with her neighbours if she tried to do it at home. But here she was, a woman who was not only trading in purple cloth, but obviously she was self-employed. Okay, that made her a woman of, uh, of, uh, 
of stature in as much as she was able to mix it up with the women and the men within that economic framework of that town. I suppose literally, quite literally, she was the, the woman from Proverbs 31. If you ever read Proverbs 31, you find that it's more than getting out of bed before the dawn to bless your children. Okay, some renderings of it leave it right there. Because the woman in Proverbs 31 considers a field and buys it and then trades with her hands and is well known in the markets and by the leaders at the city gate. This is Lydia. This is Lydia. This is this person we're talking about. And she had this exclusive product. And we would assume because she mixed with the wealthy selling this, that she too would have been quite wealthy. And of course, she was known. She was known. So when Lydia comes to the point of giving her life to Jesus, there would have been a whole lot of people around her going, why would you do that? You had everything going for you. You don't need that religion. You can just simply carry on making lots of money. In fact, if you become a Christian, you might limit your amount of contacts. You might diminish your sphere of influence. People might think poorly of you. You're taking up this new religion. But what the world doesn't understand is that we are driven not by the laws, not by the rules of a, of a faith, but we are driven by the very person of Jesus himself. You see, Jesus coming into our life changes our perspective about life's meaning and the value we place upon the world's rewards. What people perceive when they look at Christian faith is they see from the outside, they see a lot of rules, they see a lot of laws, they see a lot of boundaries, they see a lot of fences, they see a lot of do, they see a lot of don't, but they don't see the transformational change that Graham was talking about. That spirit-led, God-inspired experience, that revelation that comes when somebody gives their life to Christ, and a spiritual transformation occurs miraculously. You can't buy that for love or money. You can't win that through education. You can't win that through being born into the right circles. You are indeed born again by the Spirit of God. And so all of our values are now changed. They're changed because all these things that the world holds on to, it says you have to have more of, more wealth, more time to yourself, more fame, more relationships, more sex and power. When you watch television, this is essentially what it is that we see, isn't it? That's what we're told we should aspire to. We're told that these things are important. But in the Christian faith, all these things are moderated. All these things are constrained because of one dynamic event. And that event is this, the person of Christ crucified. Because at the very core of the gospel, the very core of the Christian faith is this person, Jesus Christ, who God's son came and laid down his life. And for me, when I think of the Christian faith, the first thing that the go-to picture in my, in, in, image in my mind is, is the cross. I don't have a whole bunch of do thises and do thats. I don't have a whole bunch of laws. What we have is something the world doesn't understand, and that is a blood-bought, loving relationship with the God of heaven and earth, who gave his only son, that he would die for our sins in an incredibly sacrificial and loving way. And when I am presented with this image, this powerful, powerful image, it changes me, it constrains me, it compels me. It changes all of my values, all of my behaviours, 
because I have now fallen in love with the one who first loved me. You see, Christ crucified changes everything. It's not a bunch of rules, eh? What did you do yesterday? Oh, I went to church. What happened? Oh, the pastor gave us another 20 rules to add to the other thousand that I've already got memorised. Oh, that must be fun. Oh, yeah. Lots of fun. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. We meet Christ, he changes us. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul, what do you know about relationships? Uh, that God so loved us that he died for us. Huh. What do you know about wealth? Well, Jesus died for us, so I suppose wealth is moderated by that. What do you think about eternal life, Paul? Well, I think when Jesus died for us, everything, every answer that Paul had would have been built around the person of Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for us. And this is how we become a spiritual community. See, spiritual communities are built around spiritual truths. They're not built around potluck dinners and pizza. Okay, They're built around spiritual truths. Spiritual truths such as prayer. When we meet together, we want to know the will of God. We want to find out what his understanding is of any given thing. We saw how the Apostle Paul went to Macedonia. How did he end up in Macedonia to meet Lydia? He was praying. He was praying and he had a vision. Don't go here, don't go here, go here. Isn't that cool? That's the sort of prayer answer that we want, isn't it? Don't go here, don't go here, go here. I like that sort of answer. When, when, uh, when Paul just spoke to us before about the Torori project and how the Lord was so specific with him saying, Begin with enthusiasm, that which you've already, uh, continue with enthusiasm, what you've already started. That's exciting, eh? That's a word from the Lord. That'll keep Paul going through good times and dim times. Won't it, Paul? Yeah? That's great. We know that because that's a word. And what happens is we reprioritize our values. Our behaviors change as a result of being a part of a spiritual community. Let me tell you a little story. It's not a true one, but. You'll get the gist. Seamus goes into a pub. And uh, every Friday night, it was his tradition to walk up to the pub and he'd order three beers. And the barman would say, one for you, Seamus, one for your brother, Frankie, and one for your brother, Mikey. And so Seamus would go off to the corner with his three beers and he'd sit there and drink these beers in memory of his brothers who were scattered around the world, living in different parts of the world as Irishmen do. The greatest export of Ireland has been its people. Anyway, Seamus comes into the pub one evening and he's looking a bit glum. And the barman says, three beers, Seamus. And he goes, ah, no, Paddy, just two. So with that, the barman pours him two beers and he gives them to him and he walks over. A few minutes later, the barman comes over and he puts his hand on his shoulder and he goes, is there trouble in the family, Seamus? He goes, aye. He says, is it Frankie? No, no, it's not Frankie. He says, is it Mikey? Yes, it's Mikey. Oh, has he passed away, Seamus? He says, no, he's become a Baptist. <laughs> Not talking about drinking here. I'm talking about priorities. The Bible doesn't condemn drinking. It just says you've got to be really careful when you use alcohol. Okay, so we're talking about reprioritizing. 
stories. I know when I became a Christian at the age of 22, uh, alcohol just disappeared, okay? In as much as it was a problem for me because I used to hang with the boys and drink too much. So for me to be um, carrying a witness, I had to give away that alcohol and that scene. Okay, I have a glass of wine now and again, now and again. But in that time, that was a real problem, so I gave it away. I reprioritized my values. We're also told as a spiritual community that we should bless, not curse. The blessing of Abraham, I love it, is that you will go into all the nations and you will be blessed to be a blessing. The very reason we have a covenant with God is not so much that we would be blessed ourselves, but that we would represent God and be a blessing to others. Isn't that exciting? That's what we're put on the planet for. That's how we build the kingdom. And I'm sure that testimony that Graham and Peter had just a moment ago, uh, Graham would say, Peter was a blessing to me, leaning over the fence, sharing the faith. Yeah, he was a blessing to me. Fantastic. Bless, not curse. Serve, we're told, rather than be served. And the greatest example, of course, is Jesus himself. And then generosity. Generosity. Why, why can we be generous? Well, these things in the world don't count. We don't take it with us, do we? Jesus said, I have gone, I go ahead to prepare a place for you. Okay? And no eye has seen, no mind has conceived what I have prepared for those who love me. And then I will return and I will take you to be with me. I mean, that image is just really powerful, particularly in its day. Because people used to travel uh, down the roads together, travel in groups when they go from town to town. And so it was customary to get the person with a few clues and the quickest legs, and they would go ahead. They would go ahead to the town where you wanted to stay. And there, when they had gone ahead, they would prepare a place for the group who's coming in behind. And Jesus said, when I go ahead of you, no eye has seen, no mind has conceived what I've prepared for those who love me. But you imagine the anticipation of that group when they're traveling down the road on a hot, dusty day, and they're going, oh, well, I hope Eli's prepared a great place for us when we get there. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. And then Eli comes back. because He's got the swift legs, yeah? He comes back and he meets it. You wouldn't believe what I got prepared for those who love me. We're in this together. You see, we become generous people because all of our values change. Because heaven is closer to our heart than our bank account is. And I don't know about you folks, maybe a little bit like myself, getting a bit older, but heaven becomes more real every time someone I love goes to be there. Heaven becomes almost just there. I can see the, the pictures in my mind of people whom I love who are there waiting for my arrival. Got a bit of work to do yet, but... You see, the power of the cross is the thing that the world doesn't understand. They think we're rule keepers. They think we're religious. They think we'd line up and get counted and I measure who's got a, a, you know, the right clothes or the right words or the right uh, lifestyle. That's not what we're about. We look at the cross, we look at Jesus and we go, if that's how much God loves me, then the rest of it is all yours, God. The rest of it I give away to you and you will moderate, you will change, you will compel, you will constrain. A great illustration that I think is a perfect one for church, and because we're talking about church, I want to finish with this, is the illustration of, of the farmers in Africa or the farmers in Australia. 
The land that they farm over there is so vast, so big, it's impossible to put fences around. Now, in New Zealand, we understand fences because our farming is more intense. But what do you do when you're trying to raise animals and keep them in one place without a fence? Well, the only thing you can do is create a really good well, a really good spring, a really good reservoir of water where the animals will come and they will draw water, pure water, clean water, fresh water, cool water, that life-giving water that is the essence of life when it comes to a farm. Because when the water is there, the animals won't get too far away from it. Sure, they'll wander, but they'll always come back because there is the essence of life there, the essence of life. And for us as a church, I'm a great believer that Jesus Christ and him crucified is the very essence of that wellspring of life. And the scriptures, the word of God, is for us that fresh flowing water that continues to build that current of life within us. And it's that living water that Jesus said, when, you, when you're thirsty and you're tired, come to me and I will give you water that you will never get thirsty of drink. Uh, sorry, you'll, you'll, you'll never be thirsty by drinking it. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture, isn't it, of what the church should be. Not rules, regulations, not fences and boundaries. And the Apostle Paul put it this way when he said, where are we? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Pick up those first five words though. What do they say? For Christ's love compels us. I cannot do anything but serve him. I get out of bed today and I know that God, his love for me through his son Jesus is so real and so tangible. It's like Jesus died yesterday for me, the image of the crucified Jesus, the resurrected Jesus bringing new life to us. This is what compels me. This is what moves me. This is what challenges me. This is what intimidates me, even in a really positive way. I'm challenged in a really healthy, healthy way to give my life to Christ. Not have I filled those thousand rules this week. Oh, yeah, that was fun. The love of Christ compels me. It leaves no room but to pour my life out as a living sacrifice for the one who gave me life. And this, my friends, is what the world doesn't understand. And this is why we are the church. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we are refreshed by the simplicity of the gospel. Yet in its complexity, it embraces all of us, every point of difference that we carry, individually and corporately. We're overwhelmed by this tremendous love. As God gave His only Son and He was poured out as an offering on that cross for us. And we look to that cross and we say, God, what more could you do than show me that you love me? 
by shedding your blood on a Roman cross in that place of torture and sacrifice. God, we we come to you and we say, allow that river of life, that wellspring of living water flow through our veins. May we be compelled, may we be constrained, we who have been bought at a price. May we offer our lives afresh. May we run away from the temptation of religion, but run towards the living, resurrected Jesus. And help us, God, to hear your voice as the Apostle Paul did. Don't go here, don't go there, but go here. Come to me. Come and share your life. Give away this gospel as was given to Lydia. Oh God, let us be your people as you call us friends. We ask this in Jesus' name.